Time for Legally Speaking, joined as always by Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Morning, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing great. Always good to be here. What is on our agenda today? Well, the first thing on the agenda is a long-running case concerning uh, cribs, of all things. That is to say, like baby cribs. Yeah. Um, and it's a case that actually originated in Victoria. Um, and it originated a long time ago, which uh, will come to uh, what's eventually uh, become of that case. Um, some uh, listeners may uh, recall a number of years ago issues concerning uh, possible safety concerns about uh, drop-sided cribs, like cribs where you could lower one side down to get yes. the child out more easily. Yeah. Um, and in fact, back in September of 2009, uh, a then articling student in Victoria had a young baby and noticed that one side of his drop-side crib uh, had fallen down about 10 inches lower than the other side, causing concern that the uh, child might be able to climb over that and, and get hurt. Hmm. Um, so he zap-strapped the thing back together. Um, and then uh, a short time later, that was September of 2009, uh, a couple of months later, the company that manufactured the crib um, uh, sent out a recall notice to get all of these things back. So it does look like there was a uh, some sort of a problem with the uh, manufacturer, the design of the uh, crib. Uh, so one day after the uh, company recalled all the cribs, uh, the uh, articling student who happened to be articling at a firm that did um, class action work started what one would expect, a class action lawsuit. Yeah. A proposed class action lawsuit. Hey, what about these cribs? Um, and the case sort of uh, meandered along for a little bit. And it's a good example of how there's a difference between how a criminal case sort of proceeds through the court system as opposed to a civil case proceeding through the court system. Yeah. With a with a criminal case, uh, there's always a next court appearance scheduled, uh, and the court sort of manages uh, the case to make sure it keeps going in a forward direction, right? Yes. The court will want to know, hey, how are you pleading? Guilty or not guilty? Okay, when are we going to have that trial date? Um, are you ready to go now? Right? There's always sort of a court-driven process to keep things going uh, in the you know desired direction of a conclusion. Whereas with a civil case, it's different. The, the case is very much being driven by the plaintiff, right? Yes. Yep. So if you're suing somebody, you would draft up your statement, uh, your notice of your civil claim, you would serve the other side with it, uh, the other side would respond. But it, it then has to be sort of driven forward uh, by the lawyer or the plaintiff, right? If the yep. person doesn't do anything, nothing happens. Yeah, right? I can nobody's sit there for years. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's calling up saying, hey, what's going on over there? What about that crib claim? Uh, and so what happened here? It looks like there were various other claims started for cribs in other parts of the country, right? There was action started in Quebec and Ontario and Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta. Uh, and so things sort of uh, uh, didn't move too fast, probably because uh, there was some waiting to see, well, what's happening with these other cases, right? Um, then what happened is a couple of years later, the uh, now lawyer, right, who was the representative plaintiff who had the crib that was falling apart, uh, applied to remove himself from being the representative plaintiff. Um, and the reason for that is there could be a fair bit of work involved. If you're the representative plaintiff uh, in a case like this, you could have to show up for examinations for discovery, and it could take a bunch of basically uh, 
free time, yeah. right? You've got to put into it, right? Uh, and the compensation that an individual person might get as part of a class action could be pretty modest, right? Here, the claim was for the lost value of the use of the crib, right? Somebody yeah. said, hey, I can't use that crib because it might injure my child, uh, or perhaps to get the value of the crib back. But hardly a fortune, right? Oh. And so somebody could spend days of work as a representative plaintiff and wind up with a few hundred dollars, right? Good that we've got the class action system because you might affect, you know, thousands or hundreds of other people. But for the person doing it themselves, it's a whole bunch of work for what may be, you know, a small amount of money for each individual person. And so the then very busy lawyer who obviously had a young child, <laughs> the sort of person who might need the crib, um, applied to stop being the representative plaintiff and asked that some other people be substituted who were willing to take on that role. Uh, he was unsuccessful. <laughs> the judge managing the case said, no, you've got to continue. Uh, and part of the reason for that was that he still had the crib. Uh, and one of the challenges, of course, you know, if you're a young uh, parent, how long are you keeping around in your house the defective broken crib? Yeah. Probably not that long. No. Right? After a couple of years, you've got this broken thing that's been recalled, might well be hazardous. <laughs> Let's what keep it around so the kid can find it someday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you put it, you're, not, you're not putting it on the mantelpiece. You're probably not giving it to your friend if you have a <laughs> a recall, right? You know, it's like, so he tells you this, this is a de deadly, dangerous object. What are you, what are you doing? The secret you, Santa you at the office? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Put a bow on it and give it to your enemy, right? So... The, the other people proposed, the judge said, no, 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 you've got to carry on here. You, you know, you, you can't just swap somebody else in. After all, you've got the crib. Um, and also uh, allowed an order for the uh, crib manufacturer to be able to have an engineer examine the crib. That's not crazy. They said, we want to look at it, see what was going on here. Yeah. Although it does cause me to scratch my head a little bit, given that there was a recall for all the other cribs. So, you know, this could hardly be the only available crib, one would imagine. The company did recall them all. But nonetheless, that was the order. Now, things didn't move very fast uh, from that point on, probably for the reasons indicated by the young lawyer who indicated, hey, I'm just too busy to do this. I've got a young child. My wife's back at work. I just don't have time to pursue this thing. And so the case just kind of languished for years. Um, there were some very general inquiries made about, hey, can we schedule a date uh, back in 2009, I think, and nobody replied, or sorry, 2017, and nobody replied to that. And then recently, the manufacturer of the uh, cribs brought an application uh, to the judge who would be assigned to manage the case. And what happens with these um, proposed class actions uh, is that a judge will get assigned to be like the management judge to manage the pretrial applications and then eventually the trial. Because what happens so often is that the person or the company, it's always a company being sued, uh, winds up making all kinds of procedural applications trying to stop the certification or delay things or split it up or whatever you can to kind of stop the thing from going ahead. Mm -hmm. And so generally they'll assign a judge to manage all those possible things. But here, the thing just kind of languished, right? There is no other court date. It's not like a criminal case where somebody's saying, hey, what do you want to do over there? Yeah. And so nothing really happened. Uh, and so recently, a company made an application to ask that the claim be dismissed for want of prosecution. Hmm. Uh, and indeed, there is a, uh, a, a 
the uh, rule dealing with that in BC, the civil rules, 22-7 bracket 7, for those that are following along at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And it allows a court to dismiss a case for want of prosecution, and there's things that a judge would consider. First of all, was there an inordinate delay? And then other sort of criteria of the kind you might expect, things like, was there uh, was the delay excusable? Like, was there some good reason for it? And then right at the heart of it, did the delay cause some prejudice to the defendant? Um, and then a balancing of sort of, you know, interests. And so on the prejudice front, uh, the law is that you can assume prejudice after a lot of time passes, right? Because, you know, people's memories fade and witnesses become unavailable and, you know, cribs made out of pressed wood disintegrate or, you know, whatever happens in this world, right? <laughs> and the heat death of the universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right, you know. Uh, and so uh, here, those were all factors. But then uh, probably the factor which pushed it over the edge is that for reasons unknown, uh, the now lawyer's uh, crib was somehow gone. <laughs> the, the, there was little evidence about how that happened. Uh, at one point, apparently a decade or so ago, the, the evidence was that the crib had been stored at uh, the uh, lawyer's office. But then, uh, as of now, somehow between you know 20, 2009 or whatever this was and, and 2022, no more crib. Maybe the thing just disintegrated into dust, leaving behind not much. Perhaps that's the outcome. But whatever the case might be, no crib anymore. And so that, I think, was probably the final straw for the judge when balancing, hey, is there any prejudice? Because not only has a lot of time gone by, but the crib itself is gone, right? (laughs) Uh, And so particularly in the context of where the defendants had this order to be allowed to examine the crib, uh, that, of course, is not possible. Uh, And (laughs) so at the end of the day, the judge concluded that, look, just too much time has gone by in here. There hasn't been an adequate explanation for it, and there's actual prejudice. They just can't have a fair uh, trial when the uh, you know this uh, crib uh, is now, for reasons unknown, no longer available. And so the outcome of all of this uh, and uh, is that uh, there will be no uh, uh, class action proceeding over the uh, crib. Uh, in various other provinces, it looks like the claims kind of fell off or, or were abandoned. Uh, after a period of time. And, you know, of course, sometimes that's a function of economics, right? Yeah. Uh, because with these class actions, you know, some lawyers got to spend a whole pile of time pursuing it, hoping that at the end of the day, there'd be some uh, recovery for it. Yeah. Uh, and if at the end of the day, you know, sort of what's at stake is the, you know, lost use value of a crib, uh, or the value of a crib, particularly, yes, in a context where the company has recalled them, which would ordinarily mean I'm going to pay you for the thing. It may be that, you know, there is just the economic analysis was how much, uh, you know, work can you put into uh, trying to advance a claim where the potential um, compensation is going to be pretty small, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there wasn't an allegation here that somebody actually, you know, was injured by the crib. It was just that the uh, crib, for reasons we guess we'll never know, uh, appeared to be kind of falling apart. Uh, and so uh, that's the uh, the long, uh, slow saga of the uh, falling apart, or at least uh, uh, falling half down uh, crib uh, from back in 2009. And so if you still have one of these things in your garage, don't use it. Don't give it to a friend. Get it, uh, get it sent back to... 
company was Storkcraft Manufacturing. So if you find some old crib in your basement, uh, you may well want to uh, look up the information about the uh, recall. And for heaven's sakes, uh, don't uh, don't gift that to somebody. Uh, Give it back. <laughs> Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. It's Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070. We'll take a quick break and continue right after this. All right, we're back on the air here at CFAX 1070. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers as we continue with this week's Legally Speaking. I'm reading criminal contempt trial, judicial notice, and a claim respecting unceded Indigenous territory, Michael. Yes, indeed. So this was a uh, decision as part of a ongoing trial uh, involving an allegation of criminal contempt arising from various people who are alleged to have blocked a driveway uh, at a Burnaby terminal or, quote, tank farm uh, in an effort to uh, interfere with the operations of Trans Mountain Pipeline. Oh, that sounds allegedly. familiar. Yeah, yeah allegedly <laughs> contrary to an injunction. We've had a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the uh, legal issue here, I think, is an interesting one. The legal issue is the, this concept, as you mentioned, of judicial notice. Uh, and in particular, a uh, lawyer for one of the accused people in this trial was asking the judge to take judicial notice uh, that uh, the area in question was either uh, was unceded indigenous territory hmm. uh, or, quote, indigenous territory. Hmm. Um, and so that brings us to, well, what is judicial notice? Yeah. Well, the idea there is that the starting point in a criminal case is going to be, if you want evidence of some fact, you've got to call evidence of that fact to prove it, right? Hmm. If you want to prove that, uh, you know, Bob robbed the bank, you better call somebody that says, yeah, that guy over there, Bob, I saw him <laughs> rob the bank. Um, you don't just assume that he robbed the bank. And so the, the concept, though, of judicial notice is that where there are facts that are um, obvious, and, and I guess here's how obvious would be described as a matter of law, it comes from a Supreme Court of Canada case, Regina versus Find, mm -hmm. um, where there are facts that are clearly uncontroversial or beyond reasonable dispute, and it's described this way, facts that are, one, so notorious or generally accepted as not to be the subject of debate amongst reasonable people, or two, capable of immediate and accurate demonstration by resort to readily accessible sources of indisputable accuracy, that a judge can just proceed on the basis of those things are true without having to call evidence. Like, for example, if somebody says, look, I'm asking your honor to take judicial notice that water runs downhill, hmm. <laughs> or I'm asking you to take judicial notice that uh, when it gets very cold, water can freeze into ice, right? Mm -hmm. A judge could just say, yes, I, I don't need to have a witness come and tell me that water generally runs downhill, yes. that you know water freezes into ice. I'm just going to operate on the basis that those things are true, right? Otherwise, we would spend time proving the ridiculous and the obvious every day, right? Yeah. We don't. Okay. But the issue here became the lawyer was saying that this area was, she claimed, it was notorious. This was unseated uh, indigenous territory. Is it? Uh, and so the issue was, is that the kind of thing that you can take judicial notice of? Yeah. Um, and so she pointed to various things in an effort to try to persuade the judge of that, uh, including, interestingly, statements made by various politicians, which you will often hear at the beginning of political speeches or addresses, right? You'll have the politician stand up and say, I am on the unceded territory of X or Y. 
right? Hmm. Yeah, actually, uh, and here, in, yeah, here with the Lekwungen speaking peoples, they prefer the term traditional territories because of the Douglas Treaties and them not being technically unseated. So, yes. So that's one of the things she pointed to. And I must say, I really quite enjoyed the uh, <laughs> the judge's reply to that. A uh, judge said, when dealing with comments made by politicians in various contexts, including those ones, a judge said, in any event, I hardly think that statements by politicians, which may be made for any number of reasons and not for the purpose of court proceedings, can be taken as reasonably uh, accessible sources of indisputable accuracy. <laughs> which I must say was like the kindest uh, judicial treatment of, you know, how much we can rely upon statements being made by politicians in various circumstances. But, um, the court's like, so hold we, on, hold on. You want us to take a politician seriously? No, we're not going to do that. Sorry. So that, that's that been judicially rejected. And then the lawyer also tried to rely upon uh, a, a book found in the Burnaby Village Museum hmm. uh, entitled Indigenous History in Burnaby. Uh, and so the judge had a look at that. Uh, but the judge was not persuaded. The the Crown in this case said, look, you know, like, we're not agreeing that that is notoriously so that nobody could debate it. And the judge pointed out that, look, even though it may be undisputed uh, that, of course, there were Indigenous people living in what is now Canada prior to uh, Europeans arriving here, uh, and uh, even though that's clearly so, uh, that doesn't necessarily lead to the conclusion that it is uh, a notorious fact that the driveway at the tank farm in Burnaby was unseated Indigenous territory, or yeah. indeed Indigenous territory at all. It just doesn't follow. Uh, and so the result of this uh, decision is that if the lawyer wants that uh, allegation to be part of some, the defense in some fashion, right, that this is somehow, somehow it's relevant that this driveway that was being blocked was unseated indigenous territory. Yeah. And it's not entirely clear how that would play into the defense, but it seems to be important to the lawyer. So if they wish to try to uh, rely upon uh, that assertion, uh, they will not be able to do so by claiming that the judge should take judicial notice of it. It's going to be a matter of calling some evidence to try to establish that. Um, and the point is that if you take judicial notice of it, it kind of deprives the other party from being able to do anything to challenge it. Oh, right? I see. Just okay. say, I'm just taking judicial notice of this. What this driveway was unceded indigenous territory. The other side, of course, will hold on a minute. Uh, maybe it was subject to a treaty. Maybe there was never any uh, indigenous claim to this driveway or this area of Burnaby. Hey, I should at least be able to ask uh, questions uh, about that. Uh, and so that's what's going to occur here. If the uh, if the lawyer thinks that is important to the defense, uh, then they would be required to prove it. They can't just stand up and say that claim is the equivalent of a claim that gravity pulls things towards the earth or something. Um, it's going to actually require some evidence. And so on goes the uh, the case of. Uh, alleged criminal contempt over the blocking of the driveway at the tank firm in Burnaby. So in terms of taking judicial notice, it would depend on uh, the specificity or the precision of the information. For example, you could take judicial notice that at some temperature, water freezes to ice. The exact temperature, though, and the conditions might require expert testimony, right? For sure. Okay. Right? Is that salt water? Is that fresh water? Yeah. Uh, what altitude is that at? When you try to think of examples of things that are just obviously so, it can be challenging, right? Yeah. I mean, if somebody was say, I think, for example, if the claim was, look, I want you to take judicial notice of the fact that there were indigenous people living in what is now British Columbia prior to European contact. 
that's probably the sort of fact which a judge would say, yes, I, I could take judicial notice of that. Yeah. No reasonable person is going to argue that that was not so, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it is a very different thing to say no reasonable person could argue about whether this driveway in Burnaby was Indigenous territory or unceded Indigenous territory, right? It could mm-hmm. be, well, was there a treaty or what, what, you know, what group of Indigenous people lived in this part of Burnaby? Did it include what is now the driveway? There are all kinds of questions that you might reasonably want to ask about those claims. And I should say as well, just to be clear, uh, it's not as if if you managed to establish that something was, quote, unceded Indigenous territory, uh, that uh, somehow the uh, Supreme Court of British Columbia doesn't have the authority to uh, grant an injunction prohibiting a person from blocking that. It's not how it works. And so I want to be just very clear that it's not a matter of, well, if you somehow establish that this wasn't uh, unceded indigenous territory, that somehow that's a license to go out and uh, erect a blockade contrary to a, an injunction. That's just not the state of the law in British Columbia. No, you, you won't have some wily litigator once upon a time managed to convince a court to will away all of its power and become meaningless. <laughs> that's not likely to happen. <laughs> no. Uh, we've, we've got two minutes left. COVID protocols at the courthouse. There's a revision coming April 11th, is there not? Yes, some pretty significant changes, removing many of the restrictions that have been in place, uh, including things like uh, they're going to remove the health screening that occurs at the door of a courthouse. Like if you go to a courthouse now, there'd be a sheriff there asking you, hey, any COVID symptoms, uh, right? How's your health? That kind of thing. You got a mask there? Okay, great. Carry on. Uh, Also eliminating capacity limits in courthouses. Like right now, like they've got every second chair blocked off in courtrooms, right, for the gallery. They're going to eliminate uh, the requirement that face masks be worn in the courthouse, although they remain recommended. And uh, the provision now is going to be that in courtrooms, masks are not required unless the presiding uh, judge or judicial official requires it, right? Because there could be some circumstance, you know, let's say, uh, I don't know, witness had an uh, immunocompromised or something. You may say, okay, look, everyone put your masks on. We're going to take a special provision here to keep somebody safe, right? So a judge does have uh, discretion. Uh, Barriers are going to remain in place, plexiglass barriers, and they're still going to have a hand sanitizer available and face masks available. Uh, But the broad uh, message here is that there's going to be a a general uh, loosening of some of the protocols that were in place. Uh, And there's also the notice is given uh, that there are going to be further announcements about how future court proceedings are going to operate because they moved a whole bunch of things to online using MS Teams and so on. Yes. And some of those have turned out to be just very effective and uh, good time savers, like we're able to have judges appear from other parts of the province when they have time, and we've avoided people having to unnecessarily travel. And so there have been some positives out of uh, the protocols that were put in place, and I expect that some of those are going to continue because they've just turned out to be good exercises in efficiency. So changes coming at the courthouse April 11th. Michael Mulligan during the second half of our second hour every Thursday on CFAX 1070 with Mulligan Defense Lawyers Legally Speaking. Michael, thank you as always. Until next week. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye now.